0: Lord, I just pray for today, God, that you would impact us deep into our cause, God. Holy Spirit, be on us today, Jesus. Be on us and be teaching us and sharing with us, Lord. In your great and awesome name, God, I just pray that you would, Lord, you would give me the words to speak, Lord. Amen. So, Acts. Acts is written by Luke. Um, Luke he's a doctor he's a well-off guy he's a well-educated guy spending a lot of time really studying and finding out um, the real accounts of things that are going on and also Luke isn't just some random guy sat in an office deciding you know I'm a doctor and I'll write a book at the weekend it's this guy who's actually a traveling companion of Paul so he was actually traveling with Paul he was with him experiencing all a lot of what Paul's experiencing. and So we know that Acts is written by this guy who's right there. He's an eyewitness to these things. Acts uh, written by Luke, who also wrote Luke, um, that makes up about 30% of the New Testament. So it's a significant portion of the New Testament. And also Acts, is re- Acts written by um, Luke, he's the only Gentile author within the Bible. So that's significant as well, that he is writing to this ends of the earth. He's writing to a Gentile audience as well. But today, and actually for this whole series, as we begin to look into this series on Acts, we're not going to be looking at it as scholars, kind of from the distant future, looking back at these old things, because what scholars do is they consider what people used to do and look at those things. What we're going to be looking at today is going to be looking at it more as soldiers. Because what soldiers do, they consider what still remains to be done. So scholars maybe study something for information, whereas in soldiers study things for formation and for a mission that's at hand. You know, God has called Destiny Church here to be in Hong Kong, to be in Sai Kung, not just to inform people, but to see transformation here in this place, to see transformation in the community. So I've got five points. We're g- if you've got your Bibles, take out your Bibles. We're going to start at the beginning and make our way, kind of make our way through. So we're going to start in Acts one, Acts one, one. If you've got if you've got your Bibles with you, um, and it says this: In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do, and to teach. You know, this is point one, that it is his ministry, that it is his ministry. What we see there, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, Luke's writing to this guy, okay, and his former book is, of course, the Gospel of Luke. And he says there, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach and this word here begin or began is such a key word for us to actually understand the whole of acts because we kind of have luke he writes volume one the gospel luke book of luke and then volume two comes in and that is acts the work of the holy spirit the mission And so, you know, the truth is we can't ever begin to get into the mission, get into um, understanding the Holy Spirit impacting our lives and how that works out in the world until we're clear on the gospel. So I encourage you guys, be clear on the gospel. You know, Jesus hangs on the cross, doesn't he? And he says on the cross, it is finished. When he's hanging there and he says, it is finished, what's he talking about? He's not saying, it's all done and dusted, I'm just going to go and sit up in heaven and wait for you guys to die and then you can come here. He's saying, it is finished, this, that salvation, the work of salvation is done. But then immediately in Acts, we have all that Jesus began to do is referred to about the Gospels. That actually, the work of implementation had only just begun. The, the work of salvation had ended It's done, it's dusted, it's finished. Jesus is there and he says it is finished and our salvation, that work he did for us is done. But the work of saving is only just beginning. So you look at Jesus' life and you've got blind eyes being opened, you've got the crippled and the lame walking, you've got people who are demon-possessed being completely set free and delivered. You've got dead people being raised from the dead to life. You have entire towns of people being healed, but that is just the beginning. You have these large crowds gathering to hear Jesus, hear the message of the gospel, but that is just the beginning of what Jesus began to do and to teach. You see, the question then is, what is Jesus doing now? And in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it see the only thing that's going to take back ground from satan the only thing that's going to take back ground in this world is the ministry of the church with the gospel in the power of the holy spirit there andrew owen who launched destiny ministries when he gave a prophecy to destiny edinburgh back in 1998 as they were kind of launching and kicking off and um I think it's a prophecy that's relevant for so many. It's a prophecy that's just relevant for church in general. There's a great truth in it. And he said, Don't worry, says the Lord, about building a church. Don't think I must build a church. Don't think I've got to produce a church. Forget it, says the Lord. I said I would build my church. Don't you worry about that. This is what I want you to do reach the lost, love the unlovable. Show compassion to those who have never felt it. Share the good things I've done with you. Gather them. That's all you have to do. Share and gather. Gather and share. And I think that's very impacting and challenging and also very simplifying as well. You know, during um, the Second World War, the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, they they bombed uh, Strasbourg, which is a town in France. And one of the churches there was destroyed. And when they were going through the rubble, they, they found a statue of Jesus, and amazingly, he'd been, had been so well preserved. Um, and on the bottom was this inscription, Come unto me, all ye that are weary. And this statue was so well preserved. The, tr- the thing is, the hands had been knocked off, the statue. And so the, there was kind of one of the locals there said, What kind of Christ is a Christ without hands? We've got to call the sculptor. So they called the sculptor. But the pastor there said, in his wisdom, no what we'll do is change the inscription. And so they put the statue back up of this Jesus without hands and they changed the inscription to, I have no hands but yours. And I mean, the tr- you know, truth is God's God, right? He can do what he likes, but also we are his body on the earth. We are his hands and his feet. So every day when we walk into Saigon, when we go into Hong Kong, Jesus walks into those places. In you, he is walking into your worlds so first and foremost it's his ministry okay that acts isn't about us and our church and our like church brand or the thing that we're doing what we want to do what we want to see happen it's about his ministry that we get to take part in you know this that in my former book it was all about everything that jesus began to do and teach this book's about everything jesus is continuing to do and teach and we're still in that today and we have the privilege of taking part Second point, it is in his might. It's in his might. So, verses 2 to 5, they say, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So one time... My family were visiting, and my dad's a bit of a joker, we were in a cafe in Sai Kung. We went there, sat down, there was barely anyone in the cafe, it was only like five tables anyway, and there were two, probably us and another table, and it was this whole miscommunication thing, the girl came up and us, gave us the menu and said to us, I'll be back in a while, which in the UK means I could be a few hours, or something like that. My dad, being the joker, said... Well, as long as it's before next Thursday, because our flight's at 10 o'clock. And so the, 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 the lady's like, oh, no, I'll, I'll be back and I'm coming back right now. But there's a, there's a word we have um, that we don't particularly love here, which is a four-letter word, which is W-A-I-T, wait. Sometimes waiting can be one of those things that's like, oh, man, especially in this kind of really fast-paced, fast-paced um, culture that we live in. I mean, you look at what Jesus is saying to them there. You know, go and have a prayer meeting. Basically, go and wait a while, and the Holy Spirit's going to turn up. How? If imagine if we did that, how many days are we going to? If I said, "Guys, come on, let's pray and wait for Jesus," or what day would, would we be like? Actually, James, I just got I've got to leave here right now. But I just think that's such an that's a there's a a challenge in that, I'm not saying God's saying to each of us we have to wait 10 days, because that's actually how many days it was. that they, they, they waited and they prayed for 10 days. But actually, this thing in our busy lives of taking time to stop and wait on the Lord. Do we be, are we praying, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh? Come and fill us afresh. We don't need to have a formalized church prayer meeting for this. You can do it in your home. You, know, you can be doing this yourself. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. You know some of the most amazing spirit-filled ministries, like Smith Wigglesworth, who saw the face of the the world change with his healing ministry. He sought this for months and months and desired it and pursued it, and finally he received it on a kitchen floor by himself in the pastor's house when. The pastor wasn't even there, and it, his wife had prayed for him and gone to the door to, to let somebody in, and he just received it by himself in this, in, in this kitchen floor. Now, there's, we don't need to do an official meeting for this. So that's an awesome thing to seek. It carries on in verses 6 to 7. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I think this is incredible. Jesus has like the most amazing patience with these guys and just gives them a truthful, wholesome answer. you know, if we were Jesus, bearing in mind he's been with them he's been with them for like three years, and then kind of the crucifixion, the resurrection's happened, then he's been with them for 40 days we're not sure exactly what point in those 40 days this is but we've we read there that he's just spent time explaining to them about the kingdom spoke to them about the kingdom of god okay and then these guys they still don't get it you know they still don't understand they they still think it's going to be some kind of political kingdom uh, if i was jesus or i'm sure if any of us would be it would be like really are you serious, you know, are you completely serious about what you're saying right now, Uh, haven't we just gone, we've just gone through this, you know, Um, forget it, I'll just kind of stay here, I'll live forever, I'll just do it all myself, but he doesn't, does he? he, he ends up leaving, he trusts them with the task, why is that, because it's not that they're amazing and that they're, they're, they're kind of the cleverest guys in the, in, in the world at that time and amazing at kind of starting organizations and organizational structure. They're just not. You know, those guys just aren't like that at all. They're, they're, they're not really that great when you begin really unpacking a lot of scripture and looking at what these guys are like. But he goes because he knows that, in a sense, he's not going, that his going means that he's going to come again in a much more incredible way that's going to completely transform these guys, that there's going to be a might and a power that goes into them that would give them an ability that they would never have by themselves. At the moment, they still don't get it, but something desperately needs to change to see these 12 guys, or 11 at that point, um, change the world the next verse, in verse 8, it says, verse 8a says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This word power, in uh, there, there was a, a Swedish chemist who'd come up with this, um, he'd kind of come up with this very highly explosive substance, and he, contacted his friend who was a greek scholar and he said what is the word for power in greek and the guy said it's dunamis and so dynamite was born or dynamite was named and this word dunamis in the greek it's more than just strength dunamis has this kind of connotation of ability as well as strength it so you know it's one thing to have strength to do something kind of just get up here maybe and just kind of just do it you know there's or go out there and just speak to somebody you know there's power the strength the courage just to go and do it but there's it's so much better to have strength with ability and that's what the holy spirit does he doesn't just come to give us power and strength and things like that but actually the ability to do these things you see that first verse where it says that's all that jesus began to do and to teach, and if we just think back to think back to Luke, we could say, "Okay, well, you know all this supernatural stuff that Jesus is doing, we say, okay well that 's easy right because he 's God, heal the sick easy he 's God, walk on water easy he 's God have not 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 sinning easy he 's god it 's kind of like, okay jesus you 're kind of cheating a little bit here because you're you 're God, but the truth is that whilst he didn't cease being God. You see in Philippians 2.7 where it actually says that he didn't avail himself of his divine attributes. And you look at the life of Jesus, that he had to learn scripture. That he had to overcome temptation. That he had to pray. That he got hungry. That, and the truth is that Jesus operated as a man in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you look at Jesus' life and actually his ministry didn't start until he had experienced the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same with us. We need to come to a place where we wait. And I say, God, give us the power. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Give us the power. And in John 14, 12. There's these famous verses that we know, right? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. We've heard all that, right? And sometimes people quote that and say, you know, we do greater things than Jesus. And so often, it can be so easy to leave off just the rest of the sentence, which says, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. But actually, all the great stuff, the heal the sick, you know, it says go out, heal, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, make, make um, preach the gospel, make disciples. We can only do it simply because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us. The ascension, we often don't think of ascension as partic- particularly uh, a major thing. It's kind of crucifixion, resurrection, you know, birth of Jesus, crucifixion, resurrection. And then the ascension just kind of happens. But actually the ascension is like, you know the old films with the boom and then the dynamite goes off. The ascension is like the detonator for everything. So it's his ministry and it's his might. And thirdly, he's the message. And it carries on in verse 8 to B. It says, and you will be my witnesses you think about that word witness it's like like somebody in a courtroom and when you're stood in a courtroom you're not asked for your opinion you're asked to tell what you know about a situation so witnessing isn't about telling stories or philosophy or kind of a legend about something it's about saying what you've seen saying what you've experienced and I mean that may be in the format of a story but saying what you've seen saying what you've experienced saying what you've heard so when I share testimony about my life, you know, when I, was, when I was a young kind of, when I was a child, an early teenager, experiencing God, that if I say, you know, I've seen legs grow. I've, you know, I've seen somebody who's been set free from demons. It, tra- it suddenly changes it, because no one can argue with that, because because it's something that I've seen, the power of God at work. I've seen people go in the matter of months from just being in the bottom of life, but Jesus has come into their life and completely transformed them, not in a surface way, but deep right down to the core of their being. In uh, Acts, it says 39 times, it refers, there's only 28 chapters, 39 times it refers to the people that they were witnesses to him in that verse it says you'll be my witnesses it's not you to go and witness about some random stuff don't go and witness about the church You know, it's you to be my witnesses that Jesus Christ is our message Jesus Christ is our message in Colossians it says Colossians 1.28 says he is the one that we proclaim you know the solution to Hong Kong's problems and it may seem slightly oversimplified and actually it is oversimplified but the the solution to Hong Kong's problems is Jesus and in the multifaceted way that he is within the gospel the king of kings is the answer to Hong Kong and so our mission as his followers our our mission as as Christians is actually to point people to Jesus In John 15, 26, it says this first, he will testify about me, the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit will testify about me. Because sometimes when we say, okay, point people to Jesus, uh, you know, it can feel a little bit um, like a real challenge. But it is the Holy Spirit being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in each and every single one of us who is speaking from us to proclaim Jesus to testify about him that He is witnessing through us. In Ephesians 2:17, it may sound a bit strange, but in Ephesians 2:17, there's this interesting verse, and it says, "He came and preached peace to you." This is Paul writing to the Ephesians, speaking about Jesus, and he says, "He came and preached peace to you, who were far away and peace to those who were near." It's a strange verse because Jesus never went to Ephesus. Jesus never went to Asia Minor. You know? it, how did Jesus preach to the Ephesians? How did that, how did that actually happen? It, it says in Ephesians four twenty to 21, it says, You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. So what happens is when we witness, they hear Jesus. When we speak out, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, through us, is speaking to these guys. You know, witness in the Greek, actually it means, that the word in the Greek is martyr. Lay your life down for others to hear. Is something that in our culture, fortunately, we maybe don't need to lay our life down, but i.e. die, but maybe we need to just put ourselves in a, what can seem like an uncomfortable situation sometimes. What can be a bit of a tough situation sometimes. Maybe step out to to ask the person, "Hey, do you want to do you want even come to this?" So some things like that we've got running at the moment is Alpha. We're going to be running Alpha or launching Alpha next Wednesday. I encourage you invite people to come to Alpha. It's an it's a completely awesome. It's a completely it's just such an amazing way for people in a non-pressure environment to begin to find out more about Jesus. It's kind of inviting people to go on a journey discovering Jesus where they can say whatever they like. We're not tr- we're not trying to force them into a position or a corner with anything. And so many people around the world have been blessed by it. And people, actually, people aren't as scary. Sometimes we, we feel, and I know that because I feel sometimes afraid to speak to people. But as you're going through this, inviting people, and some people are just like, hey, sorry, I don't really fancy that. That's fine, you know? Um, at that point, you don't need to, like, go heavy on them or anything like that. If they want to come, they, they want to come. If they don't, they don't. But I, invite, I encourage you guys to get out there and invite folk to that. And some, for some of you guys, you've got maybe just close relationships that you, maybe you just begin speaking about Jesus and begin to go on a journey with them. Come speak to me. If you're in a situation like that, that is the most perfect thing. I spoke about it last week, just about going on a journey with a friend who's interested in discovering Jesus and chatting about him. You don't need to do like, okay, I've got 10 minutes, offload all truth that I know, and by the end of it, they need to make a decision to follow Jesus. It's like, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, I said last week, you know, the disciples didn't get it for years and they were walking with Jesus all that time. And so it's great, Just it's about love, and respecting people and going on a journey with them. And I really, that, that's really the foundation. It's share and gather. And maybe they don't come to church for, for weeks. Maybe, maybe they don't come to church for a year. And they're just going through this process with you of journeying into Jesus. But I encourage you guys, witness to him. Introduce people to him. So, he is the message. Fourthly, it's his master plan. Verse 8c. It says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like this rock that's thrown into, into a pool and you have that epicenter in Jerusalem and it ripples out from Jerusalem in all, and, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Acts is structured like this. You see, chapters 1 to 7 in Acts are all in Jerusalem. You start, Acts starts with 120 people. And that's kind of the church is 120, 120 people. And then in Acts 2, in Pentecost, we see that 3,000 are added to their number that day. And then by Acts 4, there's 5,000 men and women and children. And it's estimated that in Jerusalem, with a population of about 60,000 people, the church grew to 18 to 32,000 people. So up to just over more than half of the population. But then this kind of evangelism, we call E1 evangelism. So that's the same culture, the same nation. N- none of us really have that here. We don't have that. But, you know, if you were... At home, and actually we've probably all changed a lot, so even if we all went back to our like, home nations, it would be a little bit different. But um, that's same culture, same nation, so that would be like local Hong Konger speaking to another local Hong Konger. That's, how, that's what Jesus did. It's often what most people um, feel comfortable doing. I think probably a lot of us are maybe exceptions. In chapters then 8 to 12, it speaks about Judea and Samaria that's the persecution going on suddenly there's a scattering going on and people are going out from jerusalem the church is spreading out and shit as they go they're sharing the gospel they're sharing the good news and disciples are being made and as disciples are being made they're being gathered and formed into churches and we, that's e2 evangelism that's the a different culture but the same nation and that's something that many people experience today, where we're all living in one nation, but we've got so many different cultures. I'd say that's closer to what, what we're experiencing, especially if you've been here for a while, because there's like an international culture, there's local Hong Kong culture, and there's nuances between all of them. So often communicating across different cultures, but within the same nation. And then lastly, you've got chapters 13 to 28, to the ends of the earth. That's kind of your classic Paul. He's going out and spreading the gospel. Um, we see the gospel going down into Africa. We see it so spreading throughout Europe, Africa, and Asia. That is E3 evangelism. Where we have different cultures and different nations. For, probably for you guys, when you first arrived here, that's what it would have felt like. A very different culture. A very different nation. And then, Christianity... In 280 years, it becomes the dominant religion in the world. There's estimated that there were 7 million Christians at the time of the Roman Empire, when the population of the Roman Empire was uh, 50 million people. So, And that was at a time of intense persecution. These 7 million people faced death. They risked jail the loss of their property, businesses, all this kind of stuff, and still the church grew and grew in amongst this incredible persecution. Like that pebble being thrown into the water, Acts starts in Jerusalem. It starts in a capital city, this centre of religion. And throughout Acts, we see the amazing spreading of the gospel. And Acts 28 ends in another capital city. It ends in Rome. It ends... In the centre of the secular world, and there's something powerful about that. That picture just enacts that us and our lives. It is, it isn't about focusing just in just in church. And fine, if, like great, to invite folk to church and things like that. But it's about going out into the centres, you know, of business of teaching of 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 what's out there to take the gospel out there. According to Time Magazine. The world population at the time of Jesus was 140 million people. That's not a lot of people. You know, it's like Shenzhen or something like that. But but now, sorry, but then it took 1900 years. So until the turn of the 20th century, so like 1901, for the population to reach 1 billion people. And then it only took one hundred years for the population to go from one billion to seven billion. And now it's already at seven point six billion. So incredible, right? That that means that fifty percent of everyone who has ever lived, who has ever walked upon the the face of the earth, who's ever who at the end of time will kneel before God and worship him, say he, he is king. Fifty percent of all those people were born in the last 50 years and I find you know that's such a that's a staggering number it's abs- it's so incredible but it's also kind of it's there's an element of urgency in there that there's this is the out part of the vision that we have there's a part that we want to be here and community and growing together and things like that but there's also a big part which is there's a whole we're not kind of We'll pull up the drawbridge and wait till the end of the world. Um, It's this kind, it's this, there's a world out there to be won for Jesus. There's a world out there of people who've never had an opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear the good news. And so that's why alongside this vision of deep community, we have a vision for going out, for planting campuses around Hong Kong, for seeing churches planted abroad and people trained to go and run those churches in Hong Kong in our in our city we have 7.5 million people and 10% approximately uh are believers are Christians so that means that 6.75 million people don't know Jesus or don't have a relationship with Jesus aren't connected with him and so th- You know, there's never a question of, well, there's too many churches, you know. There's a lot of work to do. But he has a master plan and it's by his might that we'll do it. And so lastly, the fifth point is that he is the motive. That we're not doing this for us, we're doing this for him. That he is the ultimate, that he's the king of kings. In verses 9 to 10, it says, after he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. You know, for the apostles in that moment, there's this thing of something like to them the ascension meant the loss of of his leadership, the loss of his intimacy, the loss of that power, you know, the power of Jesus. And he's the one who commissioned them, laid hands on them and sent them out to go heal the sick, cleanse the leper. But Jesus knew that it was actually the multiplication of his leadership, the multiplication of his intimacy, the multiplication of his power. We said earlier that the ascension is the detonator, that it's the detonator to the life the sacrificial death, the resurrection, everything that was purchased and bought by Jesus, without the ascension, nothing happens. Because it is at the ascension, where Jesus ascends, that everything transforms. In John 16:7, it says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I tell you the truth means this is so unbelievable, you're not going to believe it, but you just need to believe this thing. See, for us as well these days, I think people can think, I've thought it in the past, like if only Jesus was right here, it would make life so much easier. You know, um, it would make so much easier to walk this Christian walk. You know, how could we sin if Jesus was right there? How would we get that bad thought in our mind? Because Jesus would be like, I know what you're thinking. You know, and you'd be like, oh, sorry. Sorry, better not do that. I'm seeing Jesus tomorrow. He sees right through me, you know. Witnessing, how easy would that be? It would be like, this is Jesus. Could you speak to him, please? I'm going to get a coffee, bye. Um, but the Bible says what we've got right now is better than what the disciples had when they walked with Jesus. And I find that, I find that incredible. That's hard to believe, right? But Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And you guys need to know this. You guys need to hold it. that The truth is that actually, not just that it can reach everyone. You know, it's not a watered down Jesus. That what we have right now is better than if Jesus was walking right with us. there's this part where Jesus has ascended, sorry, Jesus has risen, and Mary's like, ah, like like clinging to him. Yeah? It's like really holding Jesus. It's like, don't go anywhere, you know, because he's died, and then they think they've lost him, and then suddenly he's back again. Um, and he says these words to her. He says, Jesus says to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And maybe somebody kind of reading it just, without understanding the full context, thinks Jesus is speaking about some kind of weird thing that he's like in a resurrected body, you touch me, you're going to turn to ash or something like that. But we see, throughout, we see it in that time that he eats with people. He gets you know, Thomas to touch him, doesn't he? To prove that he is who he says he is. So Jesus isn't saying don't touch him. But what he's saying that Mary doesn't understand is, Mary, you can't hold on to me to be here in this place. You can't hold on to me to be this kind of resurrected Jesus that's just going to walk with you here for forever. That what she doesn't, is un- kind of saying, like you don't understand that when I ascend, I have to ascend. Because when I ascend, I will be closer to you than I ever could be. And not just you, but every single person on the face of the earth. But no matter if you're thrown into the deepest, darkest jail, in the deepest, darkest pit, that I will be there, that he would be there. And more than that, that I, my spirit will not just be with you, but will dwell in you, that you could be empowered, that you would be given that dunamis power, that ability, that ability to do all the things that you're being called to do, the the hands and feet, everything else that I, I need to work out across this entire planet. Peter Wagner, he says, for the purposes of carrying out the task of evangelizing the world, the immediate presence of the third person of the Trinity is more helpful than the immediate presence of the second person of the Trinity. It's by his spirit that he is everywhere, every single one of us. We are his address. On planet earth. Up until Jesus. There had never been a guy. Kind of casting out demons. There had been a few select guys. Healing the sick. You know some of the key prophets. But there would just never been a guy like Jesus. Who would walked the earth. But since Jesus. There has been lots of people. Who have healed the sick. Cleansed the leper. Seen the dead raised. Seen demons cast out. In verses 10 and 11, it says, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So they're like looking at him ascending into the sky and he is going up but he's not kind of going to Pluto and we've spoken about this I think in one of the Christmas series that he's not just going somewhere else in the universe he's leaving time and space he's going he's not going to the heavens he's going to heaven that he, his relationship with everything is suddenly changing and actually that is what ascension is it's not just Jesus ascending going up okay? but it is if he's ascending to a throne An ascension means two kinds of things. It means a taking on of a new mantle, a taking on of a new kind of um, authority and power, a new kind of relationship to everything else in the world. If we had a throne here, I could ascend to it. like I could go and walk up, but I would never ascend to the throne itself. It's not like Jesus is becoming God, because Jesus has always been God. And... He's always been God. And 2,000 years ago we had Jesus come and he became a man. That he then would be a man forever. And in this point of the ascension it's the beginning of a man being on the throne of the universe. Today, Winston Churchill, Roosevelt, Hitler, Stalin these guys, they're all, they're all dead and buried. But Jesus Christ the rejected, the crucified, the first century Galilean. He is alive forevermore, enthroned in this celestial glory. He is the King of Kings, the of, the Lord of Lords. That it's for him. That he's the motive why we do this stuff. He's it's not for us. It's not it's not I will want to do this so, for, for James, you know, so he's got a job, you know, something like that. It's it's for him. <coughs> Many folk maybe want Jesus to help with their church, help with their ministry, help with what they've got going on. But he is the one on the throne, that it's his mission. In Hebrews, we're coming to an end now, guys, that in Hebrews 10, 12 and 13, it says, he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet and we're in that period now it's like D-Day and the fight back begins but the war's not over until V-Day a year later nearly in 1945 and we're in that in-between area and it's that that we're invited to be involved with the most important mission in the history of the world see for us Everything that we do, ultimately, the motive of everything, the motive of all of Acts, the motive for us, is Jesus. Because one day, every single one of us will stand before him. One day, every single person in Sai Kung, in Fan Ling, in anywhere in Hong Kong you want to go, they will stand before him, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, guys, I just want to encourage you that in amongst all this, let him be the motive, that core motive, that he is the driving that the driving force, that, that motive in your life that you say, yeah, God, you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and for you, I do this. So I'm just going to pray and bring that to an end. Father God, Lord, I thank you for, I thank you for today. God, I pray that this word sticks in our hearts, God, that you excite us through it, Lord, that it isn't just about us rolling up our sleeves in our own effort and in our own strength and getting out there and doing this stuff. But, God, you have promised that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I just ask, actually, as Sarah's going to be playing now as we're going into this last song, in the name of Jesus, be empowering each of us. Fill each and every single one of us, Lord. Let us know and feel and experience your presence. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. And fill us afresh, not so that we'd had some tingly experience, God, but that we would have power to impact our worlds, God. Lord, give us the assurance and that knowledge just inside us that we know that we can ask you, Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh with the power and ability to share with colleagues, to share with family, Lord when we come across people Lord who maybe we feel um we want to pray for them in a certain way God Lord give us the courage Lord just to say it's not us it's not our strength it's not our how holy we are or anything like that but it's about how awesome and holy you are God Lord that you promised that you would work through us and act through us that you are continuing to do and teach through us God and I just ask for all of us here and all of us who are maybe listening around the world, and all of us who aren't able to be here today, God, that you would stir us, God, and put a passion in our heart, Jesus, to see your name made famous, to see your name glorified in this city, Jesus, in your great and awesome name. Amen.